0: So here's the the big mistake people make in all walks of life is they go, this is what success looks like, and then they build to here, and then real life happens here, and this gap here is, our what the fuck? Why is why <laughs> why isn't my why isn't my business taking off? Why isn't my relationship like this? Why why aren't I winning this tournament? Why how come I'm not a famous musician? I'm still playing shitty clubs, because we've got this fixation on what success looks like. And we haven't figured out how to map our brain to what the journey looks like.
1: Today I'm honored to talk to a pioneer of self-defense and combat systems around the world, Tony Blauer. As the founder and CEO of Blauer Tactical Systems, Tony has taught performance enhancement and fear ma- management techniques to the U.S. Special Forces, Navy SEALs, Secret Service, and many others. So I'm excited to dive deep today into the psychology of fear and what it really takes to show up in the moments when your dream or maybe even your life is on the line. So Tony, welcome to the show.
0: Hey man, I-, I love that. I love. Th- I love that last line of your intro, when your dreams and your life. Might be on the line. Very nice.
1: Yes. Very I think elegant. it's so important, right? This, this mm-hmm. aspect of managing fear, because I know you're obviously in this combat world. This podcast, though, is more about the psychology of really what it takes to live a great life. And I think, you know, I want to dive a little bit into, you know, self defense and, and all that, what people can really do there. But mainly I want to talk about fear and sure. specifically about this idea of no fear. And when I talk about no fear, I don't for our listeners mean and no fear but k n o w fear
0: I should have worn my no fear shirt i oh like yes <laughs> I might go change really quickly, but that's our you know that's the big thing is 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 to get people to understand there's no such a thing as no fear and no fear that 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 is a great slogan that that's uh you know the the trademark of a very famous adrenaline based uh, uh you know, company that specialized in, uh, you know, adrenaline sports, uh, I think motocross and or, or, or BMX bike or a combination of stuff. But they were from like the, the nineties. And I was a huge fan of their slogan. Cause I was growing up as a, as an athlete, as a martial artist. I had all this fear and trepidation of how would I perform? How would I do? And it was fear when you're growing up as a, you know, do people like me? Am I going to fit in? Uh, you know, are my dreams going to come true in life? Why am I, you know, and, but as a society, as a culture, we're taught not to talk about our fear. Yeah. You know, man, don't, don't, don't let people know you're afraid. And but there's a balance. I agree with that, you know, to, to an extent, but um, you'll be happy to know, because most people see me as the combatives guy. And that's been my main business for 40 plus years is training, Tier one military law enforcement; uh, those are my main. Those are my main clients. Um, we have another division that works with uh, a professional martial artists and self defense instructors who who get uh, accredited to teach my research. But over the over three decades, I've worked. I've taught at at hospitals to psychologists. We've got. Uh, uh, relationships with uh, EMS uh, uh, doctors, neuroscientists, psychologists, who are now looking at the research that I, I did in the 80s and applying it to helping people with PTSD, helping people understand how to learn faster. Uh, I don't like the word hack; uh, it's got a negative connotation. But you know, it's it's they're they're using our interesting approach to looking at fear and the psychology of fear instead of the physiology and biology of fear uh, and they're discovering that that this stuff this original cycle of behavior that I created in the in the late 80s has uh, immediate impact on people who are in a fear ba- in, in a fear state and uh, in fact there was a psychologist out of uh, out of uh, Greenwich uh, Connecticut who um, called me up one day and he said that he has had more success using our fear loop diagram and helping people navigate fear than almost anything he's learned in 20 wow. years. Yeah. Like it was, it was insane to hear, yeah. to, uh, to hear that. So all of that to come back to the end of your intro where you said, Hey, you know, this is, this could cost you your dream or your life. Uh, I may have to quote you on that in the future. Cause that's uh The the biggest thing that I tell people after after decades of teaching, people ask me, Max, you know, what's the most important thing? And and I tell them, I said, if I could only teach you one thing, and that would be my whole spear system, all the startle flinch, how to weaponize the the startle flinch, how to be a human weapon, how to understand the body's instinctive responses to danger, and how to use that to protect yourself, your family, or to teach you fear. And I could only pick one of the two after all these years i would say if i could only pick one i would teach you how to manage fear because you could have all of the other stuff but if you're scared shitless and you can't move and you're immobilized it doesn't matter what your skill set was it doesn't matter what your arsenal was and that's the thing that's created a lot of controversy over the years uh, in the tactical community, in the martial arts world and the self-defense world, where I would say, be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. And, and people would look at that as me condemning their chosen martial art. But really what I was talking about is the, the, there's no such thing as literal muscle memory, but what people think of as muscle memory is the, the the neurotransmitters in your brain getting conditioned to move a certain way when you see certain things. And I was always talking about the, the the intuitive neuroscience between practicing a certain movement over and over thickens the myelin sheath of the neurotransmitter, which predisposes you to move a certain way. And in a high stress situation, your executive function can get hijacked by your emotional systems, the reptilian brain, the limbic system, the amygdala and all of, all of those functions working together, whatever you want to call it. So I know I'm off on a crazy tangent here, Not but, <laughs> but, but all of these are factors that influence what happens next. And the, the buffer of, of making the right decision is your ability to manage fear between stimulus and response right? That gap time between there's the stimulus, there's the response. And now you can mitigate and influence some of that by intelligence scenario based training. Um, I had uh, an amazing, just popped in my mind. Now uh, I actually interviewed him, never met him, a guy named uh, Glenn sunshine. Who's uh, he's a father first and foremost, but he's also a university professor. And I got an email from him years ago where he thanked me for helping raise his children. And I'm like, what, Yeah. reread that again. Wow. When did I do that? Yeah. And, and so in the early nineties, I released an audio tape. You guys will have to Google what audio tape is. It's, it's an analog version of an MP3 and, uh, um, it was called cerebral self-defense, the mental edge. And it was just a 90 minute audio tape back in 1993. And I, I had first, created it in 87 86 but then when I started launching uh, uh, like learning products that people could order VHS Google that no one knows what VHS is anymore but um, we had VHS tapes we had all these auto cassettes but he had bought that and it was where I laid out for people who who because of geography couldn't access me I was trying to my mission since I'm 20 is how do I make people safer how do I make the world safer? You know, that, that's been, that's what has been consumed me has consumed me uh, for decades. And uh, so in this letter, Max, he says to me, I began teaching my kids how to look at fear Mm -hmm. from this audio tape based on that. He says, now he says, I didn't know it at the time, but now they're fully grown. And when they're together with their other peers, I can see my son and my daughter, how they handle a world event, a discussion at the dinner table, the decision to travel. They're completely different than their peer group. And the only thing that would be different from, from kids that grew up, you know, with families that hang out together was the way they related to fear. And he thought to thank me, you know, like, I think it was like 10 or 15 years later. Um, and I was so blown away by that. I actually interviewed him on my podcast, the no fear podcast. You know, wow. uh, to ask because I'd never met him. I was like, "Holy shit!"
1: That is but, crazy, yeah.
0: Yeah, all of that to say with respect to the mission of your podcast and 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 your focus on 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 you know uh, living you know optimizing your life and self actualizing. Everything comes down to you. Peel any onion, any obstacle, any moment of doubt and hesitation in life can be tracked back to a fear spike that made you stop. And not think, stop and overthink what's going on. So, so, I'm happy to report that the most important stuff that we do now, and and what's what's a big focus for my company in 2020, is uh, more of the, um, you know, on one side of the spectrum we have all our survival stuff, and the other side is all our so we got our our uh, you know, personal safety and then professional development to the right. That when when you understand how to manage fear, uh, you then apply that to any confrontation in life. interpersonal uh, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your colleagues at work. And then more importantly, I always tell people like, the biggest fight that you're ever gonna have is the one in your head. Yeah. You know, am I good enough to do this? Should I follow my dream, like you said? Like, uh, should I get married? Should I get divorced? Should I quit this job? Should I start this company? All of those are confrontations in our mind.
1: Yes, you know, Tony. There's so much great stuff you don't want to really want to dive deeper in. uh, You know, the fear loop and how we can really learn to deal and manage our fears. But first of all, uh, you sort of alluded to before. You know, stranger to fear, right? You've been you're really studying this scientifically for decades. You've, you know, been in martial arts since you were seven, you've been a professional skier. So how has your, your own relationship with fear evolved over time?
0: It's a interesting question. So one of the reasons I study it so much is because I thought I had more fear than anyone else in the world. So it wasn't like, and this is an interesting thing. I do this, I do this talk where, uh, it was, I was working with a special operations group down at Fort Bragg and I got in a couple of days early In a meeting at a coffee shop and uh, I'm there with a few of the soldiers. And one of the guys says to me, Hey, do you want to go jumping? And I go like up and down jumping. He goes, haha. He says like jumping skydiving out of an airplane. I said, I knew what you meant. I'm just trying to be funny. He said, so do you want to go? I said, no, thanks. I'm good. He goes, what about your Mr. Fear Management? You're afraid to jump out of an airplane? He says, are you afraid to jump out of an airplane? And I said, actually, no, I've done it twice. As feared, I'm, I don't like heights. I never thought I would jump out of an airplane, but I did it twice. I did a static line, I did a tandem jump, and I did it as a fear management experiment. So, so I am managing my fear by not jumping out of the airplane. So they all laugh, you know? And, uh, you know, I could see... By the body language of one of the guys sitting there, that it was like a nervous laugh, like a, <laughs> you know, but the other guy was like, ha <laughs> ha, like really laughing. Mm-hmm. And what I extract from this and what I explain to people is that they're both in the same unit, they're both qualified, but I could tell this guy doesn't like skydiving, but he does it, and it's a skill, and he manages his fear. But the guy who goes jumping every weekend, like this other guy would jump anytime he, he could, who's an adrenaline junkie, who's not afraid of heights. He's not managing fear because he likes to do it. So if you love to public speak, the number one fear in the world is what? Public speaking. Yeah. Right. Ridiculous. Right. (laughs) I remember, I remember talking to a bunch of a group of university students and I said, Hey, what's your number one fear in the world? And there were hundreds of students, mostly female. I said, what's your number one fear in the world? And they all went public speaking. (laughs) Yeah. And I said, um, and there were two monitors there. They weren't on. There were two monitors on either side of the auditorium. And my talk was, it was during sexual assault week. And I was there to talk about situational awareness and de-escalation and self-defense. And I started off with what's the number one fear in the world. And they all said public speaking. That's what people always wow, That is ridiculous. To- <laughs> and I, but it is, right? If you look at yeah. every survey, you know, and I said, pretend, look at the monitors. They're not on, but pretend... It's a video of you being chased into an alley by one or two attackers. And you're going to get raped. That wasn't on your list. Would you rather come up on stage now and stumble through a speech? Or would you rather have the skill to avoid being attacked? Why isn't personal defense, the ability to protect yourself or your family, on our list? And that's one of the things is like we we insulate ourselves we try to avoid thinking about bad things and dangerous things uh and so it doesn't even factor on our list but if you if you look at most polls around the world it's uh public speaking anyways i went off on a crazy tangent back to here i am at fort bragg i'm talking to these guys and i look i look at the guy and i say he goes uh he goes, oh, you want to go skydiving? I go, no. He goes, oh, aren't you Mr. Fear Management? I said, yeah, I'm managing my fear by not jumping in an airplane. They all laugh. And I point out and I notice the two body languages. And I look at the guy and I say, so you don't have any fear? He goes, no, I love skydiving. I said, no fear. He goes, no. So I got hundreds of, you know, 600 jumps and I, I go anytime I can. I said, uh Okay, let me pack your shoot for you today. But before you say yes or no, I want to tell you that I have trouble folding t-shirts. I'm really, I really don't know what I'm doing. And he looks at me, Max, and he laughs. He goes, you're not fucking coming anywhere near my shoot. You're not touching it, right? And I looked at him, and I smiled, and I went, fear, right? And he stopped for a second. People who get really used to, they what's called stress inoculated, they've got their ritual down they do so if you ask somebody hey are you afraid to go in your mma fight are you afraid to go box are you afraid to go on this mission are you afraid to you ask a race car driver right are you afraid to drive 200 miles an hour around a track they're like no man i love it like but remember we got these two things here we got a guy who loves that and then we got a guy who's gotten good at it because he loves the sport or the event when I was, the story with the two soldiers is I had one guy there who his goal and purpose in life was to be a protector, to be a warrior, to be a soldier, to represent his nation, what all the, whatever the story was that got him. And then one day somebody said, you got to hold your breath underwater or you got to jump out of an airplane. And he was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that when this dream started to to cultivate. Another guy who... Right. And so this is what I tell people. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. Yes. You can't be brave if, if you're and It's a very important thing for your listeners to remember, because when you get a fear spike for anything, you can use that. You can use that fear as a fuel as opposed to an obstacle. That's, you know, because you can misread that like tea leaves. Oh, that means maybe I'm not supposed to do this because I'm afraid or I'm not, or we fixate on the fear and it interferes with with the performance or what we need to do next so fear can be cathartic if we learn how to study it
1: wow that's so interesting so am i getting you right here that that is really some people that are just born sort of almost fearless in certain aspects like skydiving for example they simply don't really think through the consequences and there's other people that really learn this as a skill and actively like develop that out of necessity almost
0: I i don't know if someone's born that way i think that um I think everyone's probably afraid of falling and 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 Heights uh, just here's a great example and something that I still regret my son is somewhat afraid of heights and I remember him seven years old at my gym he climbed up on the turnbuckle of the ring and I had an elevated ring and he was sitting up on the foam the corner uh, uh, padding of the foam which isn't very sturdy I mean it's a soft foam And he's sitting up there and he's got his hands on the ropes and he's elevated now about six feet plus he's seated. And let's say that's another two feet. So he's eight feet up. It's an elevated ring in my gym back when I used to live in Canada. And if he fell backwards, there was a good chance that he would hit the edge of the ring and then hit and land on his head on a solid wooden floor, could break his neck. Uh, you know, and remember, I don't like heights. So I'm in my office looking around, and all of a sudden, like I don't hear Nick like running around the gym, and I'm like, "Dude, where is he?" And I see him bouncing up. He's climbed up, you know, like like any seven or eight year old kid would do, and he's sitting there bouncing on the thing like this. And I visualized the negative potential, and I went, and I went, Nick. And I, he froze when I, cause I got scared as his dad. Cause he was sure, like bouncing on this thing and he tightened up on it. And I saw him freeze with fear and I go, and I went, don't move. And I rush over. I go, dude, you can't climb up and you gotta be careful. And I'm like, and that moment implanted like a seed for fear of heights with him. Wow. Conversely and I saw that I was so angry with myself Mm -hmm. because what I had done is projected my fear So when you ask are people born a certain way? The day before that event he was climbing the day after that event. He now has trepidation about heights and and So the guy that wasn't afraid to skydive, you know, did he grow up with three older brothers? uh, You know uh, on a farm jumping off the roof into bales of hay Uh, uh, you know in the country jumping off of bridges into into uh, you know rivers and and like that or you know what I'm saying is like Mm -hmm. what was he exposed to as a kid I don't I I don't have a thought or an opinion that's that's just my intuition that that uh, we all knew somebody in school that had that mythological fearlessness to anything they would do Mm -hmm. like crazy things Uh, you know I I, I remember at, uh, this just popped in my head for no reason, but eight or nine years old out in my elementary school, there was um, this big guardrail with like a drainage ditch right beside the school, and we were out there in the in in the uh, um, playground area kicking around a soccer ball, and it got kicked into this ditch. And so we had to, someone had to climb over the, this railing oh, yeah. and get down there and get it. And it was dry out. It was like, it was for water runoff and stuff like that. It wasn't a big deal, but it was, you know, it was like a, like a five foot fence, iron fence. And then it dropped down like four or five feet. So to get over that and get on the other side, it was nine feet, right? You're standing oh, yeah, up, you got to yeah. go over the fence and then you climb down, drop down, get the ball. And, uh. So we start to run towards the ball, and one of the kids we we're playing with goes, "I got it!" and he starts fucking running. And he he, as he gets to it, he jumps forward, grabs the bar, and does like a handspring <laughs> over the top and lands like fucking Spiderman on the <laughs> inside. Wow. I'm like, I'm like ten years old, like going like this, dude, Max, like this. <laughs> and it was like, I was blown, Gosh, just blown yeah. away by it. No one else did that. I'd never seen that, but that was one of those things that I was like, and you know you're nine years old like I didn't go up to him and go and like now I would walk up to a kid and go, "Why do you do that? How do you do that? What made you think you can do that?" Yeah, and what you would find out is uh he's on the gymnastics team, he's been doing gymnastics and tumbling for years, uh and that he's actually uh uh done that like multiple times before. It just for all of us looked like it was the first time because it because yeah. it looked like he jumped, but he didn't check to see like like it was it a bottomless pit. Yeah, sure. All that stuff that you should think about like Yeah, you're like like, okay, what am I gonna land on? You know? So it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. But the more important observation isn't some people are born fearless and some people aren't. I think I think what it is is we're born and then we're we're educated through osmosis, through repetition, through good or bad parenting, or preferably less desirable or desirable parenting mm-hmm. uh, you know we 've got, we've got good coaches and we 've got bad coaches, and these become our our notions, our thoughts, our patterns or our ideas um, I never directly answered your question is like tell you know what was my life with managing fear. I believe that I created a very practical fear management system because I've never stopped looking for ways to understand and therefore manage fear. So I developed this for myself, but like anything else, it wasn't real. It wasn't three dimensional to me. I would go wonder this one to this and I happened to, uh, be a tennis instructor, a ski instructor, I loved martial arts. So I had, I wouldn't call it a gift, but a passion for helping other people. So even like I was teaching skiing professionally when I was 15 years old, the, oh, the yeah. actual, the Hill that I worked for had to get an exception for me in their insurance policy. Cause I was under 18 <laughs> years old, Wow! but I was I was from a very famous ski family. Everyone knew me. I was, I was on skis when I was three years old and so everyone knew, Oh, there's Tony, you know? And, and, uh, I just remember like loving the moment of getting another person to do something they didn't think they could do before. So the whole fear thing was actually serendipity. It wasn't like I had a program. So like, like, we have now a no fear course, K N O W, right? For everybody, don't, don't confuse it. K and no fear. How do we get to know fear? When we change our relationship with fear, we change our life. Um, so, every parent, every dad, every kid, everyone, if I said, Well, why aren't you doing that? They might not use the word fear. But if I got them, if I injected them with some metaphoric truth serum, and, and I said, Why are you hesitating here? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you asking that person to dance? Why aren't you asking that person? Why aren't you lifting that much weight? Why didn't you defend yourself? Why didn't you pull your gun? Why did you pull your gun? Why like whatever we're talking about very often when there's an element of, of delay and rumination, remember we're talking about stimulus response to Viktor Frankl, the very famous Viktor Frankl yes. quote, right? But the, the decision to choose in between is fear management. It's not about being reactive. It's about being responsive. And there's no guarantee. There's no, all it is is like one of the questions I get asked over and over again hey, if I buy your online course, if I go to your live seminar, if I study this stuff, like so I'll, you know, I'll be able to manage fear. I'll be I'll go. I always tell people the process is about developing self-awareness. When you have when you improve your self-awareness, you then be have the you you open up the door to to an opportunity to have a conversation about fear with yourself and in that moment you start to affect change and some confrontations might take you years to manage right Depends on what it is and, and what it, what, wh- how you defined it to yourself and what it means to yourself. And some stuff is just a question of, wow, okay, here we go. I'm afraid. And here's the other big thing is like, if you're truly afraid of something, whether it's performance anxiety or there's real risk or danger, like physical, emotional danger, it may be an event that's on a trajectory that you need to do it. You need to take care of it now there's there's the the serendipity of my my observations exploration and the creation of the program were because i believe that there is no single event more immediate than for you to solve than imminent danger and so the ability to protect yourself or a loved one against a violent encounter is the most pure moment of managing fear and but the idea is when you for everyone listening when you're managing fear it doesn't mean that you're not afraid anymore remember you can't be brave if you're not afraid yeah. remember that maxim mm-hmm. so to manifest courage i need to be scared first if i'm not scared and i go do something and let's say I'm not let's say i'm not scared of uh grabbing a snake or putting on a tourniquet or you know you you, you look at it like a doctor saving someone's life and you're like, holy shit, holy shit. And you go like, wow, how did you manage your fear There, What are you talking about? Like, like for some of them, like this is automaton, this is robotic. They're fascinated with the human body. They're obsessed with saving people there and it's not an emotional event for them. It'd be interesting to peel their timeline onion and go, you know, how did you feel the first time you worked on a cadaver? What did you feel the first time, you know, Uh, you save somebody's life. Like, was it emotional? Like, cause you stress inoculation is when you have a realistic relevant scenario that you repeat over and over again and your body gets acclimated to it. So that's a a whole other area of my company that we figured out in for personal defense and, and and for law enforcement, military training is this what I call like, uh, like brain-based evidence-based scenario training. I love the word serendipity out of doing that i i saw all of these like experts high level martial artists experienced operators not performing as they thought and then i saw their disappointment or frustration with their performance from defiance and anger to man i really messed that up and i was like obsessed with for years like why did they think they were going to do this and then they didn't and slowly and I'm 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 crystallizing things quickly because this took thousands of hours over over many years. It was because the stimulus, the risk, the danger, whether it was self-imposed or actual or combination, caused them to move in a more primal fashion, a more emotional fashion, a more reactive fashion that they hadn't been exposed to in training. And the frustration, disappointment, defiance or, 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 or depression or whatever they felt because they didn't live up to what they had envisioned was because their cognitive brain where they held the, the vision of how it was going to go down was hijacked by what really would happen. And so what I figured out is if we could replicate what's really going to happen, then your brain's adaptation through metacognition Starts to speed up and the notion was if we improve our perception speed. We also improve our reaction time I want the fastest possible reaction time But if I practice something that looked like this over here and then real violence was over here I need to account for this gap in Dissonance this isn't but if what if I said let's study violence. Let's study fear. Let's study reaction. Let's study doubt hesitation fixation anxiety and then track that back to movement and stimuli, then suddenly what I had, the people I was training, is I said, look, this is what real life looks like. Real life only happens once, but what if instead of us practicing some stylized movement over here, I'm gonna switch hands so you can see me. So instead of like, so here's the, the big mistake people make in all walks of life is they go, this is what success looks like, and then, they build to here and then real life happens here. And this gap here is our, what the fuck? Why, is, why, why, isn't, my, why isn't my business taking off? Why isn't my relationship like this? Why, why aren't I winning this tournament? Why, how come I'm not a famous musician? I'm still playing shitty clubs. Because we've got this fixation on what success looks like. And we haven't figured out how to map our brain to what the journey looks like and that's done through scenario training and also that discussion so I was able to over decades of, of the training is to go you know what let's stop looking at what perfect looks like let's look at what really happened so I started studying real violence and real movement and real reactions and then we would do so instead of a scenario that looked like perfect up here I go well, they all look like this shit here, let's practice this shit on purpose. Yeah. And so, you know, I would tell people, in a, we would start a seminar, I would say in a real violent encounter, are you off balance emotionally for a period of time? And everyone went, yes. And then I would ask, are you off balance psychologically then? And they would go, yeah, that makes sense, that's linear. And I go, and is there a good chance that you're off balance physically? At the beginning of a violent encounter. And they would go, Yeah. I go, so why are we always practicing on balance? In other words, we would practice in a perfect stance, we would practice with a perfect punch, a perfect counter. We would say, Hold on a second, I wasn't ready. Let's Yeah, start so again. you're
1: like five minutes visualized and then
0: <laughs> Right. And so I eliminated all of that. And I would say, mm-hmm. if we're off balance emotionally, psychologically, and physically, in a real violent encounter, what would happen to us if we practice off balance on purpose? We we would actually be on balance during an off balance Mm -hmm. event because our brain could go, isn't this what we fucking been training for? And in that moment, when, when you've got that resonance and you go, my training was correct. Now we go back to perfect. Wasn't here when this is what the chaos was. We replicated the chaos over here. And then the chaos happened, and now the degree of improvisation was, oh shit! I could just, I'm, I need to move here instead of this whole gap, if that makes sense. But through that, I keep coming back to this. What I noticed was changes in 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 how big eye people's eyes got when they pulled shit off. How after the after the training event, they're like, wow and i noticed whether you want to say dopamine serotonin all the, all the brain chemicals and i don't care about any of that shit you know it's funny there's there's always new new research and studies coming on oh look they found a little thing here that enhances <laughs> fear does and they ask me what i think about it i go it doesn't change startle flinch convert it yeah. doesn't <laughs> change fear man the you know where something's located in my brain if i can't grab it take my yeah. pill you know? And, and so it's fascinating that it's there, but we knew it was there. We just didn't know where it was. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is empowering you. If you were my student, you know, I wouldn't come up to you and go, Hey, listen, like just inside the amygdala here, let me show you a powerful." <laughs> There's this little area you're going, dude, I'm really scared of somebody punching me.
1: Yeah. Like, How does that?
0: Right. Oh no, but you're, Like you understand, like this is, um, and I'm not making fun of this stuff. I'm just saying that, that when I started talking about performance psychology in the 80s, I would say peak performance is irrelevant. And all the sports psychologists would go, well, what are you talking about? I go, well, if it's literal and I peak today, then what am I doing tomorrow? If it's literal, then that was the best I was ever going to be. Well, that's kind of depressing. Why can't I peak every day? Why can't I... I'm turning 60 in May. Why can't I be the strongest, fastest 60 year old version of Tony in May? If I only thinking about, you know, when I was 32 and I peaked, Mm -hmm. then I'm like, wow, you know, I miss being 32. Right? So I I shifted this to let's not ever talk about peak performance. Let's only talk about performance enhancement. On any given day I'm injured. I'm sick. I'm run down. I had a shitty night's sleep. I'm managing fear. You know, how how do how do I make sense of all of these distractions and then focus to get to that proverbial flow state?
1: Wow. Yeah. No, there's there's just so many interesting things here that I really want to dissect. So like w- what you just said here, really about like your know, performance enhancement, I think that's so key because like people tend to, you know, focus on like the best day, right? What's the best I can do? But the reality right. is, and then you sort of alluded to it, right? Like that most days was this, you know, the like the attacker suddenly coming in right or was this your boss suddenly approaching you like most days you aren't up here you're up like down here right and you have right. to deal with this this reality that's sort of wishy-washy you don't know exactly what's going to happen so you need to try, practice also for this right and prepare for this for the moments when you're not feeling your best when you're emotionally and psychologically out of balance you still need to show up and you know what, what you what you said before about you know learning to deal with these fears was also so interesting because like the the whole reason really I started this podcast was because I was deathly afraid of like speaking to people, like even mm-hmm. talking to you know my best friends, my family, whatever. I was scared shitless, mm-hmm. and so my way sort of of learning to how how to overcome it, right, was just approaching random strangers on the street. And now you know starting the psychology podcast, we we'll get just get to talk to people like you that I would have been you know running away basically, <laughs> right? Even a couple of months before probably. Um, so it's really this process of getting used to that fear and learning to face it over and over again. So do you have any, you know, other than just do it sort of thing, do you have any more effective strategies for people, you know, they're self-aware, they know I have this fear, maybe it's public speaking, maybe it's something else approaching that, you know, guy or girl, whatever it is. How do you then go from, you know, understanding I have this fear to actually doing it?
0: Yeah. Great question. And, and congrats on your self-awareness for doing Thanks. that. Because, because had you not said that, if someone said, you know, Hey, that guy, Max, he's kind of an introvert and quiet. I go, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> he was interrupting me and running off on tangents. I <laughs> I'm joking, but, but, but so, I mean, you're living proof that scenario based training can change behavior. Yes. Because every time you do an interview, that's scenario-based training. Think about this. So scenario-based training is, the way I do it, it's replicating an event based on something that you believe could happen or is real. So there's a part of this conversation that's not real, even though it's real. And what that means is there's a, there's a premise and, and there's an agenda Oh, I have a podcast on mindset and behavior, and I'm going to reach out to Tony Blower, and he's going to say yes or no, and it's either going to be a good call or it's not going to be a good call. But I'm going to do it. But it's in my mind, it's like doing a scenario, because it's it's not like we grew up together and we're friends and we're hanging out. And I said to you, Max, like, you know, uh, you got so many interesting ideas, but you never talk to anybody. It's like pulling teeth to get you, and you're like, I'm just, I don't want to talk. You know, like. Like that's real life, and I hope I'm not getting too wishy-washy here. This no, is. No, no, I'm, real life. I'm loving this. Yeah. Yeah, this is real life, but it's not. Your it's a deliberate exercise to help empower you, and and but it's a great example for your listeners of the power of intelligent scenario training that can change behavior that's the neuroplasticity of the brain we're changing behaviors you got to want to do it you got to believe they're going to happen and then you got to find safe uh uh, realistic ways to make to make it happen so you asked me is there a better way so i just wanted to kind of uh um look back at what you did amplify that a little bit and go what you did is is the example so but that can't change so your self-awareness said man and you don't have to use the word fear. A lot of, there's a lot of people that, that are like, oh, no, I'm not yeah. afraid. They don't want to say afraid, you know, um, whatever you want to call it. Right. But if there's doubt that goes unchecked, that becomes hesitation. Now you're, now you're mugging yourself. What I mean by that is you, there's only one thing we can't regenerate in life and that's time. Yes. So when you waste time, you're mugging yourself how do I stop mugging myself? Right. And that's kind of a, a neat thought. It's like, fuck, I'm overthinking. Yeah. <laughs> how do I stop mugging myself? Cause if someone were mugging you, you would go stop mugging me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You, you would want to stop that. So how do I stop stealing time from myself? Well, that's you look at and you go, I need to manage fear better. Well, but I'm not really, I'm not afraid to brush my teeth. Well, if you need root canal and you got a big infection in your mouth, you're probably going to hesitate, you know, but so you look at the problem, and I'm off on some crazy example here, but but the, the anything that creates doubt and hesitation will create some sort of overthinking fixation. And that unchecked can turn into, one day, some sort of anxiety for something. And anxiety doesn't have to be a panic attack. Anxiety could be, mm-hmm. hey, man, are you going to pick up the phone and call that person? You need to fire them. You need to break up with that person. You need to, you know... Uh, uh, call at the bank and tell them that uh, you 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 need a loan or you're you you need an extension or it's a any and we hesitate we avoid those conflicts all the time because we're in the fear loop right when we change our self-awareness about it we understand that we are wasting time and that that this this scenario is imminent and then it's gonna get immediate and the closer and faster and the less prepared I am Uh, The worst off in theory, it it could be that the moment I get my initial fear spike, if I could stop there, if it's not dangerous to stop and look at it. So my Sharpie is my fear spike. If I'm not driving or in the middle of a fight or whatever, I can stop and look at that and go, this is a fear spike. I'm going to use this as a cathartic moment. What can I learn? What is life? And this moment telling me to to do. And let me use let me use an example. I was with uh, uh, one of my team yesterday, going over some advanced coaching stuff, and and uh, I was explaining to him that you could be. He was a he was a pro type boxer for ten years wow. and martial artist for thirty years, and and uh, and I said, you know, I can look at a fighter who he's caught in the corner and he's covering up like this and you know his sparring partner's nailing him with body shots and I'm yelling at him get out of the corner spin grab his head clinch, whatever and he's not doing it why isn't he applying some of the counter maneuvers that we practice well he's in the fear loop he's stuck and if you're a good coach and I define uh, um, uh, coaching in three tiers there are everyone like so everyone says i'm their coach but they're either a technician they're a trainer or there's the coach status and there's very few true coaches the technician is that person that goes could be your boss your boss is a technician he comes in he goes uh yeah i don't like that font and uh change the size (laughs) right that's technician that's like like put your finger here i want your it's like the, you know the golf coach says get your thumb like this the shooting coach goes get your thumb like this the the uh, uh, martial arts guy no get your thumb like this that's a technician the trainer is the person that understands the recipes to create stamina endurance speed agility right they're like hey but here's the thing is a trainer needs to also be a technician right if i want to get you in shape and develop aerobic capacity and stamina and strength and I'm hitting the bag, but every time you hit the bag, you you, you sprain your wrist because you don't want to make a fist, right? But some coaches stay as trainers their whole career. Some trainers stay as trainers, but the highest level is a coach. And the job of the coach is to inspire performance, to make you better than you were the, the minute before you walked in the gym or the, or the boardroom. And so you can be an executive and you're the CEO of the company or you're the manager, are you coaching your team or are you telling them what they did wrong? And so the, the coaching element is how do I help them navigate fear? How do I help them improve their self-awareness? This is the, this is the, as I said earlier in the show, um, uh, a division that we're, we're, we're rapidly building out in the company is doing a lot more corporate uh you know stuff so we've got survive thrive you know two sides of this is me i need to be able to protect myself or my family whether i'm, I'm traveling whether and it's not about learning a martial art it's about learning the three d's detect diffuse defense situational awareness verbal de-escalation you know uh you know simple self-defense cord extremity movement for most people that event never happens right but just because that event never happens if I applied that logic to having a fire extinguisher in the house or the office, having a first aid kit, having a, when's the last time you got a flat tire? You know, you go that, I can't remember getting a flat tire. Well, fucking ditch the spare tire in your car. I don't know. That'd be stupid. Yeah. Get Get rid of your first aid kit. Why? What if like, like I need it? Yeah. And so there is no moment in life more important than avoiding and mitigating violence and what to do. So that's been our focus for 30 years. So now we realize, holy shit, that it's in that experience of learning how to be your own bodyguard that you have this epiphany of what fear management is. Because if I work with you and I go, will you protect yourself or your family? And you go, yeah. And you go, well, do you think being a salesman and having to do cool calls is scarier or less scary than self-defense? Well, less scary. Then get on the phone, make some calls, yeah. right? So whatever it is to in any aspect of business or life, you can now pivot and go back and go, yeah, doing those scenarios is way scarier than having this hard talk. Right. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, th- this, this process is also because geography and finances restrict people from getting, uh, live training is how do I teach people to be their own coach? Ultimately at the end of the day, even if I go in and I'm talking to a bunch of executives or whatever, uh, and it, and it could be a, a group of military, it could be a bunch of kids, whoever it is, my goal is to get them to understand that, that they need to coach themselves, that it's not about technician, trainer, coach, it's about why am I hesitating? Where, what's the origin of this fear? What can I learn at it? So if we go back to your original question and idea, is I get that stimulus, if I change my relationship with fear, I change my life. So going back to my conversation with Casey, where I go, hey, that guy's up against the ring. He's not doing, he's not countering. He's not spinning out. He's not clinching. He's in the fear loop. The technician goes, cover, cover, get your, get your elbows down. Get your hands up, whatever. And he's like getting this conflict. The trainer goes, okay, uh, we need to do more, uh, uh, you know, aerobic conditioning. You got tired there, and that's why you hung out in the corner. Me, the coach, I'd walk up and i go, what's going on? And nothing, coach. Well, oh, like I'm noticing this behavior, this pattern. What's going on there? Eventually, he'll go. Well, you know, my next fight coming up in next month. I go, yeah, that's what we're training for. He goes, yeah. Uh, and if I peel the onion, I give him a a the the permission to emote, right? Which is counterintuitive for any Type A personality, male or female.
1: Yeah, especially I guess for fighters. You know, these tough guys.
0: anything it could be you could be a business executive you could be a a doctor it could be anything it's like hey let's not be emotional about this Mm -hmm. this is just business right so there's that stigma there that prevents transparency or at a minimum it distorts transparency Um, eventually I find out that he was looking at some videotape of the guy he's fighting and and what the guy uh, did was uh, he get the guy in the corner, hit him with a body shot, cover the guy, clinch him, knee him. And now what he's doing is he's visualizing that this fighter is more experienced than him and he's going to get caught. In other words, he's, he's, and I'm just giving this as a hypothetical example, right? Of you see that and now that becomes the movie in your mind. So I tell people, you know, one of the acronyms we use when you're in the fear loop is false, expectat- false expectations appearing real. False expectations appearing real. That means I'm visualizing a future event that involves some sort of pain or something negative happening to me that's preventing me from moving or thinking clearly in the present. So false expectation, expectation is a future event. And so this guy's in the corner and he's trying to spar in real time, but he's also got this movie playing in his mind of this is how he's going to get beat. And so his body is moving and locking into the position because he's carrying the weight of fear with him. But if I have that talk and I go, so hold on a second. You're visualizing that's going to happen. So you know that if you stay there, you create the opportunity for that to happen. So what do you need to do to deflect that, to intercept that, to, to, he says, well, I got to move. I got to do that. Okay. So let's do some drills. Sparring partner's going to try and corner you. And you know, if you stay in the corner, That this guy's go-to move you're setting it up for him can't do that as we explore if people are tracking this only through the study of fear do I also find out that he goes yeah I'm worried about you know his body shots and will I be able to take it well that now becomes a training protocol I'm glad you said that we're gonna work on more body toughening then he goes well now I'm also what would happen is everything he identifies I'm not sure about my footwork. I'm not sure about this. We have a slide in, in all our fear management um, courses, whether it's a 90-minute or a workshop or a, a multi-day event. And the slide is this. It's the psychology of intimidation. It's when you're visualizing what your opponent can do to you instead of what you must do to your opponent. Wow. That's what most people do in life. Right. If I say, Hey, why didn't you Max? Why didn't you tell me about that? And you go, well, I was going to, but I just figured you would probably say no. Right. You're visualizing. Yeah. All well, right. And I go, well, yeah, I mean, how many times has somebody said that to you in your life, Max, I got a few people around me where I go, why didn't you ask me? Why? Mm-hmm. Cause you probably would have said no. Cause I know you're stubborn. Cause and what they're doing is they're visualizing what I'm going to do in the future. Yeah. And that impacts what they need to do in the present. And when you start having these simple tools, you change how you communicate. First and f- foremost, with yourself, and then with the people around you. It's wow. it's, in, it's insanely powerful. It's very exciting.
1: Yes, I love this this really process of becoming more self aware of understanding yourself, of understanding your fears, and then learning to deliberately practice those things. Like you said, right? You notice you have a certain fear, and then you deliberately do things to put yourself in a situation where you can learn to manage it. And that I think well, is-, this is-
0: This is what you did, right? So you can practice courage,
1: hmm.
0: right? So you don't go, oh Tony said you can practice courage. I'm gonna go to the roughest part of town and, and hmm. try to get three guys to jump me and all manifest. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, um, uh, you know, you have a fight with your, with your uh, better half, your spouse, your, your kid, there's a part of you that wants to hug them and have this over with and go, Hey, look, I'm sorry how I talked to you. And I'm sorry, dad, I'm sorry. You know, but we hold on to our anger. And, and so self-awareness says, okay, like we had that, let's fix it. There's a part of us that, so that's how you practice courage, right? Remember, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Most people have trouble saying, I love you. Most people have trouble saying, I'm sorry. Um, you notice little things in your life that are not consequential, whether it happens or not, but practice doing the right thing. Sit back and go, okay, like what, what would be this elevated gesture or movement here? Because that's how you slowly um, change, change behavior. And that's what you did when you recognized kind of afraid to talk to people. Well, if I start a podcast, I'm going to have to. It'd be interesting for yeah. you to look at your first and second podcast. Oh, I was, I was like scared. And, but, but, to, but actually to like take a picture and go, look at my body language here. Count them. Like you haven't stopped smiling for one hour.
1: You know, right? I'm, I'm, I'm so into this. Like I'm loving this so much. I, I can't stop. <laughs>
0: but, but it'd be interesting to look at your first, second, fifth podcast and go and count how many times you smiled versus didn't count how many times you talked but you you did it did you go to a scripted question yeah that was the crazy thing or,
1: right i remembered like in the beginning like literally i had like these 20 questions like scripted out and i wouldn't i wouldn't even listen honestly like i would just literally go sure. for question to question to question because i was so scared to like even like think of the next answer or a question or whatever so it was <laughs> it was ridiculously and, and, bad
0: and you know, but the most important thing is you're practicing courage. Yes, and then you get to the point where you know someone goes, "So, uh, hey, man, are, are you are you afraid to, you know, do a podcast?" You, no, I love it. Yeah. Well, wait a minute, I thought you were afraid of public speaking. I thought you're afraid of talking to people. Like, you know, now what's an interesting thing is, and here's here's a really important thing, is through the pressure. Of, of me being my worst critic and wanting to touch every single student that came in. In the 80s, we trained thousands of people through our scenario process. And I was obsessed with why, you know, I'd say, okay, what would you do here? And everyone would write down like what they, what they thought they were gonna do. And then we put them in a scenario. And then I go, Jim, you said if somebody ever came up to you and grabbed you like that, that you would headbutt him and box his ears and do this. But you actually flinched and turned away and got taken to the ground, and you ended up doing okay and breaking contact and getting away. But why didn't you pull off that move that you thought you were gonna do? I don't know, coach, like like it was sudden it was on top of me and is this, and I couldn't remember and and so on and so forth. And I would look at that over and over again. And I was like, wow, like here are like these really good martial artists and combat sport athletes. And when I changed the timeline and, and the, the, the rhythm of the dance that they were used to, they were more emotional and reactive. And it was like, okay, well, how do I train for that? That's that off balance on purpose principle. But then there was another part that kept nagging at me. And that became the, when you accept being afraid and you use the fear as a fuel, you don't you don't purge it from your system, but you don't notice it as a distraction because you've accepted it. So if I said to you, uh, Hey Max, I want you to do a podcast with this guy. He's the most famous guy in the world. You, be, you might, there might be some guest on here where you're like, okay, hi, I'm Max. I'm going to talk to you yeah. the, like, and you're like, because you hold this person with like, so you can change the game. And now you stretch yourself more by, uh, you, you, you know, I always say that, that every arena changes the amount of stress you feel. Um, and so I've had things, and I want, I want everyone to understand this, that even though I've been teaching and studying, researching, and designing uh, uh, exercises to help people understand fear, I get fear spikes all the time. I didn't get to a point where I went, well, I'm obviously, you know, the master of the universe for fear management. <laughs> what it is it's fear management. So it's like, it's like, if I study nutrition, I still need to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, like, if, let's say I, let's say I, I redefine nutrition. It doesn't mean I don't need to eat anymore or it doesn't mean that I get to eat like ice cream all the time because yeah. <laughs> I understand nutrition.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, for people, sure. So people- you have to have practice and apply it. Yeah.
0: Well, it's not only that it's that it's real life. Mm-hmm. I'm a human. I need to eat. What am I going to put in my body? I'm a human. I need to think, what am I going to consume? Am I, am I, am I listening to this shit? Or am I going to listen to a good podcast? And that doesn't mean that I can't listen to shit and I use shit, whatever meaning like just like garbage for the brain. There's, there's, you know, sometimes I want to watch a bad movie that, you know, just cause I want to just like last night I I'd worked about 14 hours yesterday preparing for a big trip to Europe. And, uh, and I never do this I don't watch TV in bed I don't have a TV in my bedroom but my brain was so this I grabbed my iPad and I put on a comedy show and fell asleep during it it's not a ritual but I had enough self awareness to go I need to just like go into some like like fun clever comedy and and what's amazing is you know I'm there with my my wife in bed I woke up in the morning and said Fell asleep during the show, right? She goes, "Yeah, I watched two episodes." I said, "What?" You went ahead in the series, but it was funny because on my my intuition, when I got in bed, knew that my brain was so activated that I needed a complete change the channel reset. And as soon as I did that, I relaxed enough and passed out. So, it, you know, it's it's. I guess uh, you know what I'm what I'm trying to share with with you and and everyone listening to this is to self-actualize as a human, to become the best version of yourself, to empower the people that you care about around you, whether it's family or your, your staff, even to protect, we have a maxim that, you know, that, that uh, um, you know, that that fear throttles everything we do from who we talk to, to where we live, to how much money we make, to how much weight we lift, to whether or not you're gonna defend yourself. And the ability to protect yourself or loved one is an arguably the single most important skill you could possess. But all the people that I've studied for decades who manifested courage, whether they were trained or not had to do one thing first and that's manage their fear. Yeah. Right. So I've got stories that we share in our B bodyguard class of like untrained citizens fighting back like in Korea against crazy odds. And if you ask them like, well, here's a person that doesn't, didn't do Krav Maga, didn't do MMA, didn't do jiu jitsu, didn't do Thai boxing out of shape, overweight, but kicks this like, like burglar's ass who was on top. Like, how does that happen? And when you hear her being interviewed, it's like this one woman that that we share her video, she said, you know, I've got a wheelchair bound son. And I knew that if something happened to me, something happens to him. I had to fight back. Well, what is that? That's an elegant way of saying I managed my fear. I was scared for this other person and had to protect us. It's just another way to explain managing fear. But the the biggest thing and the hardest thing for people to grasp is they think that when they get to a certain degree, a belt or whatever, that now they are somehow uh, um, exempt from the experience. So I'm here to tell you, you know, I'll be 60 in May that I still have fear, but I, the fear i have is when i get a fear spike i immediately start to uh get tactical about understanding what it is and in that research that changes how long i stay in the fear loop in some cases it's a nano moment i can i can switch it and in some cases it's like okay okay we got to study this okay we got to you know let's analyze this but now i've moved from an emotional state to an intellectual state and just that act in itself dissipates some of the fear. So
1: you know Tony, I'm I'm loving this so much. And I I know I promise you, you know, to (laughs) not to keep you for too long. So maybe before we wrap this up, um I would be remiss if I didn't touch really quickly at least on on self-defense. And you mentioned the three D's before. Um so for people that you know don't have any clue about you know self defense yet, how can they you know try these or you know really use these three D's for life in order to really keep themselves safe?
0: so the we call so we break down uh confrontations almost like a like a look at it as a map and this isn't like a like a, a perfect model but but it's you know 97 percent of the time even more this is how it happens there's three phases detect diffuse defend detect and so we say you need to have situational awareness so that's the the d1 detect then there's Usually some sort of conversation a setup, in a confrontation. Hey, uh, excuse me. Uh, did you see my dog? Uh, can you give me directions? You know, can you spare a, a buck? You got a cigarette? Um, that's the defuse part and then if push comes to shove there's the defend So what we do when we're teaching people is is that if you see it in those three phases that changes your situational awareness most places that teach self-defense uh, as good a job as they're doing, their focus is on the physical part, how to get out of a headlock, how to throw a kick, how to do a block, how to do a, uh, you know, a gun takeaway. The problem with that isn't that the skill sets, the problem is that the most important part of self-defense is the situational awareness. If you have no awareness, you have no chance. Yeah. So if you're not cultivating situational awareness in your training, even, even if you're, you're, so we'll teach how to get out of a headlock, but we teach people how and why you would have gotten caught by a headlock. So the education is even further back in the timeline of the scenario. We don't start in the headlock. We don't start with the grab. We start with why would this happen? How would this happen? What type of scenario would you be in? So what's happening there is you're, you're creating mental blueprints in your brain. And this enhances this metacognitive process, where instead of me starting, have you ever done any self-defense martial arts?
1: I've done judo, but I was like a, a small little kid. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, so for example, you're doing judo. When they teach you a hip throw, uh, uh, you know, you start off, you grab the gi, you wrap your hand in there, you get it. They correct, you know, how you're going to grip it and do some stuff. They teach you a break fall. And then it's like judo's great for self-defense, but think about this, the myelinization of the neurotransmitter in the brain requires that someone's got an art, some clothing, a jacket you can grab. Yeah. And now you need to be in here and get in here and you're going to do this hip throw. You're going to do that stuff. There's no verbal deescalation. There's no situational awareness. So the, the, for the lay person in the street, the most important thing that you want to learn and understand and do is improve your situation awareness first. So let's say you're listening to this and you go, you know what? I'm never going to do a martial art. I'm never going to do a self-defense class. But how can I get safer? How can I make myself and my family safer? So your intuition is like a, a a a biological GPS. Every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling. I've interviewed hundreds of people that go and then what happened? And then what happened? Did you remember? And at some point in the interview, never right away, they go, "You know, I knew when I parked the car that something was up and, but I got on my phone and I, you know, like, like there was always like, there's some little pre-contact cue, but it's your intuition. So I want everyone listening to this. Your intuition is like a biological GPS. And what I mean by that is like your GPS, when you miss your turn, what does your GPS say? It says you're going the wrong way. Make a legal U-turn. So I jokingly refer to this intuition as the body's biological GPS, which says, you're moving somewhere and you're, you're trying to get You're late. So you take the shortcut and you're now you're an unlit street and unfamiliar territory and you grab your phone because you take your GPS out. And now you look like somebody who's lost in an area that you don't know. And all the opportunistic criminals go, that person is perfect. You know, prey. And so I tell people choose safety. The most important thing here, if you're untrained, even if you're trained is to choose safety, what is the safest thing I could do right now? The safest thing I could do right now is not walk down the street looking at my phone. Like if you just stop and it's almost, it's almost like, like when we're studying fear and we're analyzing fear, I tell people like fear can teach you what you should do next. And people go, how's that? Because you're visualizing what you don't want to have happen. Just ask yourself, what should I do to mitigate or ensure that doesn't happen? If I don't do what I was visualizing to set up that from happening, That won't happen. And then you stop and you go, holy fuck, is it that simple? Yeah, it is. Don't get stuck in the corner taking body shots. Well, how would I do that? You need to move. Well, how would I do that? You got to do these drills. Well, how do I do that? You need to spar. You need to, And suddenly you cultivate exactly what you did to get relaxed on a podcast. You got to do reps and they got to be realistic, relevant reps. So for your listeners, I'm going to pretend you're not going to, even if you're like a black belt, 10th degree black belt, Choose safety. If your intuition says something's off with that guy, there's something wrong in the restaurant here. I think that car's following me. The safest thing to do is to check it out. There's no downside to choosing safety, but there's a severe downside to ignoring it and finding out that your intuition was right. So imagine this. You get a fear spike about somebody or something, and you explore it, and you find out it was nothing. You imagined it. You misinterpreted a pre-contact cue. Are you safe? Yeah. Yeah. And you practiced courage. But if you say, you know what? I'm being paranoid now. I live in a bubble. This area is safe. I know that guy. Nothing ever happens around here. And it turns out to be a true fear spike triggered by real danger. You're so far behind the curve at that moment that, that you've now created and amplified the problem.
1: Oh, so it sounds like you need to really deliberately practice this courage whenever you have this feeling, whenever you have this tickling that something may be wrong, you need to practice it even if it 's not a real thing right but just in case it is so you can yeah. actually get better at it
0: exactly I mean you want to do that almost like you have a stopwatch right right how many times so i 've had several people that I mentored and trained in my self defense business break away and rip me off, and they 've done it uh, in less Uh, less than ethical ways, right? I have no problem with people being an entrepreneur, Um, but I have had people, uh, four or five people over a 30-year career really, really do that. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, while it was happening, I saw in our relationship the signs that this was the type of personality that is prone to uh, lacks of integrity and loyalty and betrayal. You can see it in the way people communicate in emails, in behavior. And when these things happen, there was a part of me that went, I fucking knew he was going to do that. Wow. But I didn't trust my intuition. You've had, And everyone listening to this has had somebody betray them in a relationship or in business where, when it was all said and done, somebody close to you said, I knew that guy was going to screw you. I knew that was going to happen. I knew she wasn't right for you. I knew he wasn't. And you knew it too. But the romantic in us goes, no, 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 that can't be happening. Let me give them one more chance, right? Yeah. And this is an example where I'm taking it out of the self-defense realm to show that our intuition doesn't lie. And that had you or me or anyone listening practiced courage when they had the first moment of doubt and fear, we would have created a harder conversation back then, but maybe avoided a whole bunch of grief years later. So the, The application here of detect, diffuse, defend applies, not just to self-defense, but to relationship management too. And business that I develop situational awareness, something there's a, there's, there's an anomaly. Something's off. There's some dissonance. I get a fear spike. Should I go confront this colleague? Nah, (laughs) they're not cognitive dissonance. I shut it down. I redirect. I don't, I don't like confrontations. And then a year later, they steal some intellectual property or they break away and do their own thing or, you know, like, and like, there's so many examples of this. So how do we, how do we fix that? We develop greater self-awareness so we create better transparency and better skills at, at communicating to ourself what we're thinking. And then find a way to communicate that to our family or our friends, all with the singular focus of
1: making things better. Yes, absolutely. Love that. Now, Before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? So what's your favorite you know, social media platforms, websites? Where can people find you?
0: Uh, I'm on all, all of them. You know, I post regularly on Facebook, post regularly on Instagram. I don't use Twitter that much. I don't understand it. I mean, I've been on it for years, but... Uh, but, uh, you know, Instagram, we've got, you know, my personal account, uh, uh, which is, I think, Tony Blauer or Tony.Blauer. I think it's Tony Blauer, one word. Cool. Uh, I like we, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got our Spear.System. We've got a Be on Bodyguard and got my No Fear podcast. We've got four... Platforms there. Our main website is Blauer, my last name B L A U E R. Spear for our the uh, behaviorally based self defense system. Spear is spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. It's all about weaponizing the startle flinch. And um, you know, if you just Google Tony Blauer, fear Tony Blauer self defense, like stuff will stuff should pop up
1: for sure now my final question is what is your quest for greatness so what's that personal mission or vision that you want to bring to the world um my singular
0: focus for decades literally since 1980 i got asked you know what do you want to do and i said i want to make the world safer and so that's what i've been working tirelessly on for decades you know now we've got hundreds of affiliates around the world Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got a mobile training team in, in several countries, uh, you know, running courses for law enforcement, for military emergency services, for the general public. So my focus is still, you know, how do I make people safer? Uh, as I mentioned many times in in the the study of that, I recognize that the single greatest factor in how somebody moved in a scenario or in real life was their ability to manage fear and that became a standalone program for, for no fear. So when, you know, to me, I don't think about greatness in in a, in a, like in that way, I, I would use it in a sentence. Wouldn't it be great if all kids uh, learned how to look at fear like Glenn Sunshine's
1: yes. <laughs> son
0: and daughter, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it, you know, the, the self-defense program that I created, I wish somebody had taught me when I was 12 years old you know, uh, it just, it changes how you relate to bullying. It changes how you relate to fear changes to, you know, how you relate to everything. Because if you change your confidence, then when someone says, you know, what do you want to do or be when you get older, if you understand how to mitigate fear and you understand how to defend. So self-defense is a bigger umbrella picture. What you eat is a type of self-defense. What you read is a type of self-defense, right? These are all, these are all things that, that, that help shape you. If you eat organic and clean, you're changing your inflammation and energy systems. That's self-defense for your life. Right? Um, so to me, I would rather use the word great in the sentence of, wouldn't it be great if there was less violence? Wouldn't it be great if people were safer? Wouldn't it be great if somebody who really wants to be, an actor, a politician, a race car driver, a, a soldier, uh, uh, the, uh, a mom or a dad, if they could wrestle with their fears and what society or their peer group expects of them and go, no, no, I, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to defend my right to make my dream a reality.
1: All right, guys, that's it for today i really hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you gained some valuable ideas tips tools tricks mindsets belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level at the end of the day guys it's all about application the only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained and so i really want to challenge you at this point to you know not just listen to this passively to not just consume this you know passively just Think about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your lives. To really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I wanna ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review, as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one, maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people. that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see tomorrow.